I just want to hike or take a nap. I'm not sure which one after watching that. Hey, are you guys excited to be here this morning? Man, what a great church and a great place to be on this beautiful Sunday morning here in the Northwest. And I know that you have lots of options on what to do on a beautiful Northwest day. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm glad I get to be here. For one thing, I didn't have to preach at 8 o'clock this morning in Monroe, which is what I'm usually doing. I got to wait until 9, which is even better. So you all look, you all look awake. Yeah, I got to sleep in. I have children. I never get to sleep in. Uh, my name is Nate Hedinga. If I haven't met you yet, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I planted a church uh, with a group of people from North Shore Church in, in Bothell, and uh, 22 years ago, we left the east side and uh, were living in Monroe and began Cascade Church with a group of people much like what you guys have done in the last two years. I love your pastor. You guys love your pastor? Man, oh man. Uh, Jake is, he already mentioned it, we're, we're uh, brothers from another mother, and, and that's really true. Uh, when we get together, it kind of goes off, because he, his uh, story, living this with you, is very similar to uh, our story. My wife Amy and uh, our two youngest will be here uh, next service, and um, I'm just looking forward to them getting a chance to experience all this. I love the new church smell. You guys ever, you ever had the, the, the new car smell when you get into one, and it just smells nice, right? Right? That's what you guys have still. So keep that going. Keep that going. Uh, yeah. You don't want to start smelling like uh, a minivan after kids for six years. That's, uh, that's not usually very good. So Jay gave me a call and asked me to jump in on the series, uh, What's the Point? And uh, last week, as you know, if you were here, if you didn't, if you listened to it online, uh, What's the Point began with What's the Point of My Life? And what we talked about was the point of my life is to glorify God and to find my fit. And where I get to jump in today is, is what's the point of the church? I actually had a, a master's degree class that was a five-credit class that tried to, over four months, explain the topic that Jake gave me 30 minutes to do this morning. So uh, there's lots of different ways that we could approach this, and so we're gonna approach it uh, in what I think is kind of the big overarching theme of what is the point of the church. For how many of you, uh, this would be the first church that you felt like you belonged to? Like this is, this is the first church, this is your home, okay? A, a number of you, a number of you. So for some of you, you've had experiences in other places and other churches or other expressions of the church, and that's been true of me as well. I'm a, I'm a PK, known as a pastor's kid. I wasn't a hellraiser, which is what everybody expected. Uh, we heard all of those stories, oh, you're, you're a pastor's kid, you're gonna be like in prison by the time you're 19, right? <laughs> Didn't happen, I didn't get caught. That's what happened. Um, but I, so I, I grew up going to church for nine months before I ever drew a breath. Uh, Mama was always in church with dad. And we grew up in small Midwest churches. So think Upper Peninsula, any Upers in the room? Anybody? Upper Peninsula of Michigan? Y'all need to get out more. You need to broaden your cultural experience a little bit. All right, so I grew up in Ironwood, Michigan, in the failing copper mining uh, towns up there, and, and then uh, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, in another very small conservative church, and, and the, only, the only redeeming grace was my dad was the, was the chaplain of the Green Bay Packers for the six years that I was kind of coming through elementary and into towards middle school. So I got to grow up in the locker room with these monsters 
And they would do push-ups, some of the linemen with me and my brother and sister on their backs. And, and it was just, it was a glorious experience. So I would go to those Packer games in Lambeau Field and, and throw snowballs off the top at the guys. By the way, they drink a lot in Wisconsin. <laughs> Highest per capita beer drinkers in the country for like the last hundred years. <laughs> And so I used to drop snowballs into the beer cups from the top of the stadium as the guys were standing there drinking their beer. It was glorious. <laughs> but my experience with church was really mixed. There were some fantastic things about growing up in church. And there were some things that just sucked. We, we lived in a parsonage. You guys know what a parsonage is? Uh, that's where back in the day, churches would buy a house, uh, usually adjacent to the church, and that's where they would store their pastor in between Sundays. And, um, and so we had a lot of parsonage experiences. And, I, and I, re- I remember being told, Deacon Jim, he might still be alive, and so I won't use his last name. De- Deacon Jim would stop my brother and I when we would run in the halls and he'd be like, y'all don't run in here, that's disrespectful, this is God's house. And I was the responsible older brother and so I would just nod my head and my brother would go, you can't tell me what to do, my dad owns this place. <laughs> but, but Deacon Jim would pull up as we were playing in the front yard of the parsonage, which means it's church property. And then he, I remember him pulling up and waving me over to his Buick. And I would come over as a nine-year-old, 10-year-old boy, and I'd just say, yes, sir. And he'd say, you guys need to pick up this front yard. This is a disgrace to the name of Jesus. And as a little kid, I was the responsible one. I would just be like, yes, sir. And I'd feel terrible about that. And like, is that what church is? Lots and lots of rules. And we got to make Jesus look good because somehow he needs our assistance in looking good. And we moved out here in 1979 when I was 12 years old and, and my dad became the pastor of North Shore Church and then years later planted Cascade Church. Been in all kinds of different churches. Little ones, medium-sized ones, big ones. City churches, rural churches. Began to be a preaching pastor in a small logging community in the coastal mountains of Oregon. Been in churches in China, the state church, where there are seven closed-circuit televisions that are focused on the platform, and everything that's being said is being recorded and monitored at communist headquarters. I've been in illegal house churches and factory churches in China where they've just gathered in small spaces and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus. I've, I've stood in a muddy clearing in Nicaragua in the center of a village in the dark, and there was a one long electrical cord with a single bulb hanging there and moths, I am not making this up, that were this big flying around while I was trying to preach. And in the middle of all of that, a young man comes up and says, we need you to dedicate our baby since you're the white man who's here. And I said, fine. And they hand me the baby and they said, now you have to name it. I said, what? You have to name it. And I leaned over to the translator and said, is it a boy or a girl? Girl, all right, so I had a name. I'm about to announce the name, and the translator goes, no, 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 it's a boy. Like, I almost named, yeah, that would have been very confusing. Been in all kinds of churches and all kinds of places in Thailand and Cambodia and the Philippines. 
And I've experienced all kinds of different styles of worship, and maybe you have too. I've been in a worship service that went an hour. I've been in another one that went five. Think about that for a second. (laughs) Been in churches where there was a lot of worship, and it was very charismatic, and other churches where it was very liturgical. The language might be different. The style of worship might be different, but one thing is constant. In a church that is modeling the New Testament pattern of what it means to be a church. In that place, Jesus is worshiped, Jesus is preached, and people are seeking to grow as disciples of Jesus. The Bible actually defines church in lots of different ways. We define it in lots of different ways. Is it an organism? Is it an institution? Is it a corporation? Is it a nonprofit? The New Testament gives us word pictures. It says that that we're a vine and we're connected to the branch. It says that we're a building that's being built up on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It says that we're a family. The Bible tells us the church is a bride to Jesus. And as you looked last week, major metaphor in the New Testament is that the church is a body, that we each figure out our space, our, our role, as a hand or a foot or an ear or whatever it might be. But one thing we know for sure, one thing we know for sure, for sure, the church is not a building that you go to. The church is a movement that you choose to be a part of with Jesus. And that's awfully good because like I said, you guys have a lot of similarities to Cascade in the early days. We were known as the best church in town if you could find us. Like you. I called my wife this morning and said, all right, here's blow by blow how you're going to find it. And once you get in the building, good luck. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. The church is not a building that you go to. The church is a movement of Christ Jesus that you choose to belong to. And so what I want to do this morning is just take us back to the beginning when Jesus is first handing off his ministry role where he would travel around with 12 and he'd preach to thousands. And then he dies and he's resurrected and then he's for 40 days living amongst the disciples and he's about you've seen in a relay race where the baton gets passed the baton gets passed in Acts chapter 1 and I want to take us there because it's the beginning of the church that we are now grabbing that baton and running with how did the church start What was it supposed to be and to do? The author of the book of Acts, if you have a Bible, open it up. If it's on your device, flip it open. Acts chapter 1. Luke is the author. He's already written one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's a doctor, and so we don't get a lot of story from him. What we get is the facts, and we get them as accurately laid out as an engineer, doctor, brain would do so. He's also a man of God, and so we get the spiritually nuanced accounts of the message and the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is writing, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So, he says, I give you... Some instructions. What were those instructions? Anybody remember? Matthew chapter 28. What were the instructions? 
go into all the nations, the ethnic, and, and to make disciples, right? It's what you guys are existing here to do. It's exactly the same thing. Jesus said, I already gave you some instructions to the apostles that have already been chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What he's doing is just reemphasizing everything that he'd been preaching already. But now it's post-resurrection. And he's just wanting to drill down on that and say, you all got it, right? Everything that I taught you the last three years, that, those marching orders, those instructions to go and to make disciples, you guys got that, right? You got it. So why 40 days? Why was he around? I, I would have thought maybe Jesus would be in a hurry to get back to his father's side. Why 40 days? I, I think in part it's for us. It's really hard to have a collective hallucination for 40 days. 40 days gave a long stretch of time for a lot of different people to have many, many different experiences to touch, to eat with, to be with this Jesus. It's proof that he's alive, that he's been raised from the dead, and that he's on mission. And the mission is the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. What's that gift? What's he been to send? The Holy Spirit, right? He's going to be sending the Holy Spirit. The promise is that, as in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would be given to someone so that they could do a specific task. Now Jesus is saying, as I leave, because of what I did on the cross, you now can know me in a new way, and my spirit will live inside of you, will guide you and direct you. And all people who call on Jesus for salvation will be saved. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, Jesus said, but, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore, restore the kingdom to Israel? And I, I, gotta, I gotta think that maybe Jesus did a little bit of this. Not again. Seriously, dudes. I've been saying the same thing over and over and again. I'm not taking over for the Romans. I'm not. We're, I'm not gonna be a king and have you come and bring me gifts and bow before me. I'm not overthrowing your enemies. That's not what this kingdom is about. They're still waiting for Jesus to be crowned king and to take over. And then Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. By the way, all throughout church history, there have been those who said, I've had a vision. I know exactly the time and the place. Give me your money. Right? Usually that, that's in the subtext, right? What Jesus is very clear about is, y'all aren't going to know. You won't. Keep watch, pay attention, but don't freak out about it. Verse 8, and here Jesus said, and this is the key verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to 
the ends of the earth. So what they've been saying to Jesus is, you're taking over, right? And this is Jesus just simply, calmly, subtly saying, no, actually, I'm leaving. You got this. I'm out. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. That's everything you're going to need. I'm the mission is now yours. Baton has been passed. They don't know it. They're going to take some time to figure this out. But the baton has now been passed. The church is being formed. You're going to go. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Why do you think the two guys in white are there? I was thinking about this, and I I wonder if he wouldn't have stopped them and said, y'all need to get out there and get going. You need to get on mission. If they wouldn't have created some sort of sacred space there, built up a little altar This is the last place on earth where Jesus ever was. I was in Israel a while ago. And it's amazing the shrines that have been built over any place where anything ever happened. I think that would have occurred here as well. Instead, the angels are saying to him, or to to the disciples, you all have a job to do. Get moving. Get on mission here, near, and far. Back to verse 8. It's a key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The mission. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you're going to get going. You're going to get going. The story of the early church is the story of a movement. And get this. The church from its very beginning, does not exist just to take care of itself. Did you hear me? From the very beginning, the church doesn't exist just to take care of itself. The church exists to be on mission here, near, and far. And sometimes we get this confused, right? We start thinking the church is all about me. The church exists to take care of its members. The church exists to grow up its own people. And often, while that's a good message and it's important, often it gets stuck there. The reason why the vast majority of the churches in this country are either plateaued or dying is because a voice won the argument somewhere in a leadership meeting that said, we need to take care of us. We need to make sure the tithers are happy that we have the programs that their kids need. And I've had people crass enough to actually say that to me, to actually say, you know, we give here, and we give a lot. (laughs) But we really don't like the worship style. Can you get rid of that guy, gal? That's a church that has lost its purpose, lost its mission, Our needs, I believe, will be met on the way to meeting the needs of others. Our needs will be met on the way to meeting the needs of others. We are on mission 
hear near and far. Hear near and far. Where do we get that from? There are four dimensions of ministry that Jesus talks about. Four dimensions, and they start real close, right where we live, here in our home, and they expand. For example, our Jerusalem. When Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, he says that first because that's where they live. For you, that's Woodenville, Kirkland, Bothell. This is where you start. You are on mission right where you live, worship, work. For me, it's Monroe and the Sky Valley. For you, it's different. Secondly, another dimension of ministry is all Judea. Go to Jerusalem and all Judea, meaning a nearby location. For you, it might be those wild, crazy pagans in Bellevue. (laughs) Or, God forbid, those folks up valley towards Monroe. Do you know there's a huge prison in Monroe? We fit in. It works. All Judea. So that's expanding your local mission and your local witness. Samaria would be people who are close by. Samaria was near to Jerusalem and Judea. It was close, but it was ethnically, ethnically, culturally, religiously distinct from Jerusalem and from the disciples that Jesus is speaking to. And for you, a cross-cultural ministry would be cross, for example, cross-religious What are the other belief systems that are in your region that are not too far away? You could drive there fairly easily. We just got a mosque out in Monroe not too many years ago. And at first, we weren't exactly quite sure what to do with a mosque in Monroe. Monroe is all white bread all the time. Nothing but honkies. And to all of a sudden have a mosque pop up out in the woods, outside of town, was just a little bit different. And I've had some conversations with the imam that began that mosque, another one with the one who's there now, but it was my wife taking our boys to Taekwondo. My two little boys are from South Korea. They're going to see Master G, who loves them because they look like him. And Amy came home one day and she said, Nate, you're not going to believe this, but the boys are in Taekwondo with the imam from the mosque, with their version of a pastor, with their kids, their friends. They like to kick each other in the face. It's awesome. (laughs) We just had a test on Friday night for new belts, elevating in their belts, and, and those kids were all together hanging out. For us, part of our Samaria is the mosque up the road. It might be cross-religious, it might be cross-cultural, it might be cross-ethnic, it might be cross-economic. Here, near, and far. Fourth dimension is to the ends of the earth. What's that mean? Think about it. Everywhere. Anywhere in the world. Cross-cultural ministry far away from where you live. And this acts commissioning in chapter 1 verse 8 compels us to consistently push the gospel to places where it is not yet known. Anywhere where there are people who don't yet know the name of Jesus or follow Jesus, that's the scope of our influence. And honestly, we haven't done this very well. It's been over 2,000 years. And today, 99% of all missionaries, 99% of all missionaries are reaching the 44% of the world that already has a gospel witness. 99%. The tribe that we're a part of 
Converge is trying to flip that script, trying to send 95% of all of our missionaries from here forward to the parts of the world, the 60% or more that do not yet have a gospel witness in their village or in their location. Here's what I want you to catch, because here's where I think we sometimes trip up a little bit in pursuing the purpose of the church. Is it simultaneous or sequential? These four dimensions of ministry. Are we supposed to make sure that we've reached Jerusalem sufficiently, that we've got Woodenville, then we'll start to reach out to the cities around us. And if we do that, then we'll start to reach to those who aren't like us in our Samaria, who are different somehow culturally, religiously, whatever it might be. And then maybe then, maybe then we'll get to the ends of the earth. I believe one of the reasons why the church has not fulfilled its mission as quickly, well, it's actually twofold. One, every generation, we get to start over. And number two, Too often, we've decided that this is sequential. We're going to reach Jerusalem. Then, we're going to go to Judea. Then, we're going to go to Samaria. And then, if we still have time, money, and leaders to send, then we'll go to the ends of the earth. But I want you to notice, there's a very intentional style that the author Luke uses. It's not normal for him to throw the conjunction and in between those. Usually it would just be a list form. That would mean sequential, perhaps. What he says is, and, I want you to go to Jerusalem and make disciples. And, not next, not then, and at the same time, Judea. And, while you're doing that, Samaria. And, you also need to care about the rest of the world. Do you feel that difference? It's not sequential, it's not in order, first one and then then the next, and then if we're doing well, then the next. It's all engaged at the same time. These four dimensions of ministry, expressed in this way, are intended to be simultaneous, not sequential, and we go after all four at the same time. We're on mission, here, near, and far. And when all four of these are being engaged at the same time, you have the kind of church that you're having the incredible privilege of experiencing right now. This church is living out the purpose of a church. That the church grows when when we're reaching our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth at the same time. The church grows, and it grows primarily through conversion growth. I know from talking to your pastor, Arbor Church was not begun to collect Christians from other places. This church was begun to lead people into a faith in Jesus Christ to help them begin the process of becoming disciples and to change their world. We experience radical transformation. We become more generous when we see our vision and our mission. Our purpose as a church is to reach here, near, and far. Our community is impacted by the engagement of the church. Our influence is extended, and we experience the blessing of God. The church is a movement. The church is a movement. It's not a place that we come and sit. It's a place that we are sent from. Let me track with you as I wrap it up. Let me track with you how the church has grown over the years. How do we move from Acts chapter 1 to Arbor this morning? 
When the church first began, the first two primary churches were in Jerusalem and in a town called Antioch. And from there, if you track, well, if you have your Bible, just look at the maps in the front or the back. This is one of those things that it's good for. You'll see all kinds of squiggly lines that go all around the Mediterranean. Those are the missionary church planting trips of Paul and Peter and Barnabas and all of those other guys. That's what they were doing. They were going on church planting mission trips and they planted churches all around the Med. It went viral. From one believer to 34 million in 300 years. So 300 A.D., 300 years after Jesus was resurrected, after this moment that we just read, there were 34 million approximate believers in Jesus Christ. It went viral. And eventually the Apostle Paul gets drug off to Rome where he writes a bunch of his prison epistles. And from Rome, the center of the universe at the time, the gospel continues to expand until my tribe, the Swedish Baptists, I'm not Swedish, don't worry, In the 1800s, there was a tremendous move of the gospel. It was known as a revival throughout Europe, in particular northern Europe. And God was doing amazing things up in Sweden, and they were being persecuted for their faith, and so a lot of them moved over to the U.S. A bunch of them ended up in Illinois. Why? I have no idea. A place called Rock Harbor, Illinois. You know how it is with immigrant communities, right? Right? Whenever they land, they find a place, they begin to make a life, and then they start inviting all their friends and family, and that community grows. You can't ever understand why that particular location, but for the Swedes, in the 1800s, it was Rock Harbor, Illinois. They began a church there. 47 days after they arrived, they started a new church. Thank God, Jake, we had more time than that. 47 days. A few months after that, they sent... In 1852, a guy named Gustav Palmquist to Seattle. And he began a church called Central. And that church planted another church called Ballard. Right around that time, they went from being Swedish Baptists because nobody spoke Swedish anymore and there were hardly any Swedes left in the place. They decided we should face facts and they called themselves the Plain Vanilla Baptist Conference. Actually not. They called themselves the Baptist General Conference that later became Converge. This is where our story comes in. Central starts Ballard. Ballard looks at the east side of Seattle, which was all trees and lumberjacks, like this. And they said, somebody's got to go reach those crazy loggers on the other side of Lake Washington. Who's going to go? And my wife's family said, we're in. And so when she was just a little bitty girl, two years old, she was in a Bible study that became North Shore Baptist, now North Shore Community Church. North Shore decided, we want to keep this train rolling. We understand that our purpose is to reach people for Jesus here, near, and far. And so we want to do that. We believe in church planting. And so they tried five times and failed five times to plant churches. The elders were saying, this is dumb. It doesn't work. We should stop. They kept going anyway. And North Shore has now planted a number of churches that have planted a number of churches. And there's a network all around the east side as the gospel multiplies. Your church is a part of that network of church planting churches. And it's what gets me up in the morning. It's what gets your pastor up in the morning. 
to be a part of a movement that goes way beyond simply one place and one people. But we are a part of something much bigger. We are on mission here, near, and far. So the question is, for us, for you, where is your Jerusalem? The school your kids go to, the neighborhood you live in, the place where you work, you're on mission representing Jesus in that place. Where's your Samaria? People who are a little bit different from you, culturally. Maybe they speak a different language at home. Spiritually, ethnically, how are you on mission representing Jesus there? And are you aware of what's going on in the rest of the world? How do you join in with what Jesus is doing in other spaces and other places where only 1% of Christian workers and missionaries go? We are the church. And the church is not a building that we come to. It's a movement of Jesus that you choose to belong to. And we're on mission here, near, and far. Would you pray with me?